All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 126 points or four-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 68 points or 1.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was up 373 points or 3%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up eight-tenths of a percent. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 9.2%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 20.9%. Thank you, AI. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. For I mean, sure. What, what, what a uh, meteoric rise for the NASDAQ, although it's still well off. It's all-time highs we reached the beginning of last year of 2022. So it's got a long ways to go. But, uh, you know, again, this this AI craze has just completely taken control of the market this year. Because even as, as Joe and I talked on last weekend's show, as we've talked on this show, you have about 10 primary stocks in the S&P 500 that's driving more than 90% of the returns so far in the S&P 500. And when you look at, other indexes like the Dow, which is just 30 stocks, or the equally weighted S&P 500, it gives you more of a true sense of how the market is doing overall because the equally weighted S&P 500 index is up through Thursday's close less than 2% year-to-date. And I heard – I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was looking at uh, some indexes such as like the Russell 2000. this this, This is only through Thursday. Uh, the Russell 2000 like is up less than 2%, as you talked about the equally weighted S&P being up less than 2%. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of a time period in the past where we've had so few stocks driving so much of the market performance over – you know, here we are a little bit, four and a half months into the year. Joe, did you, what did you no, want to I mean, add? I was thinking the same thing. Even in the Fang heyday, if you will, 
mm-hmm. uh, now which is now Mang, obviously. I can't recall so few stocks driving the market like that. It's, and we've only been doing this for a few years, you know. Just doing it for a few decades. Just for a few decades, you know. And so you, you have to ask yourself as an investor, is is this an environment where you'd want to commit a substantial portion of your and you know your investment allocation into stocks as a whole with the markets being the performance of the market being driven by so few stocks um and this is this is not a, a new, we've been talking about this now for months and the situation really doesn't seem to be any different we were talking about one of the bigger poster childs for ai and one of the top performing stocks if not in the top three this year is NVIDIA, which we own in the portfolio, which has doubled. Now, it's still off its all-time high. I think you were saying, Kyle, I think it was, what, 30? It's getting close. It's it's getting close. It's it's all-time high was around 330 $330 a share. So, and it closed on Friday. Uh, let's see. NVIDIA closed, what, 312 about six four, so I mean it's it's getting close to its to its all time high, uh, but I mean you hear analysts though Jeff talking about moving their price target up well past four hundred dollars a share. They had the CEO uh, doing an interview earlier this week with the CEO of ServiceNow, and I think ServiceNow and Nvidia are going to be doing some type of partnership together, and so. A lot of analysts are still on the NVIDIA bandwagon, even though we've got a price earnings multiple you know, coming up into triple digits, and it's just been on this meteoric tear so far this year. Um, the, the, other, and, and, the other stocks that are contributing to that, you know, NVIDIA, this was through, I think this data was, was through uh, yesterday, yes, uh, pardon me, Thursday, 117% through Thursday, up for the year. Meta, formerly known as Facebook, up 105% through Thursday. Uh, Salesforce that you just mentioned, Kyle, is number is number five in terms of year-to-date returns. It's up just shy of 61%. Now, here's a surprising one. Did y'all know what number six is in the S&P 500? Well, I mean, we got a shot of saying Microsoft or Google. No, it's General Electric. <laughs> Oh my Gee, God. Right. Really? General Electric is up some 59, bottom feeding. Jeff's, Jeff's, Jeff's favorite stock. Yeah. <laughs> who made the famous who, who made the famous call that it was going to be removed from the Dow, and it was. Uh, but, uh, but this is but this is something that Joe and I talked about on last weekend's show, Jeff, when you were when you were on vacation, is that we've been talking about this all year is that this has just been a low volume year. It's more of the renters, the traders, the long-term money managers, the long-term investors have really been on strike. And it's, it's almost like everyone's standing in a line and waiting and looking down the line, waiting for that first person, that first long-term investor to step across the line because it seems that every single week there is another piece of potential market-moving news that gives everybody pause. I read a report this past week that there have been almost $400 billion of assets from longer-term investors that have been withdrawn from the stock market this year. And so when we continue to see this light volume, we continue to see this more 
renters being involved in the market and the long-term managers like ourselves staying very patient and very lightly allocated to the equity markets from an historic standpoint, it's just every corner we turn, there's another piece of market-moving news potentially. And I think that might be what's giving some people pause on top of the fact that being able to be patient now is actually paying you something. You know, the new acronym, it's not TINA, it's called Terra. There are reasonable alternatives. <laughs> it's now Terra. Did you no, make that I did up? not. I did okay. not make that up. I read, I read it this past week. So yes, let's take our good. first commercial break. Let's take our – it's called Terra. There are reasonable alternatives. So let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week and talking about something that Joe and I talked about on last weekend's show, and, and we've talked about it really all year. This, you know, we're really more in a trader's market, low volume, the renters of stocks, the long-term money managers, long-term investors are really just kind of circling the field. I mean, we have been doing that ourselves here at Davidson Capital Management, looking at our modern allocation. We have right around a 44, 43 to 44% allocation to stocks, which, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't you say that this is about the longest period of time in our 34-year history we've been at this light of an allocation to stocks in a modern allocation this so low, pro- for this long? Have, you probably have to go back to the financial crisis months, you know, the summer of 08 into the fall, um, and then as the got into the latter part of 08 and into the early part of 09, we started increasing asset allocations again. I mean, it might be – you. I, I would also say if you go back to the uh, uh, post.com era, uh, you know, maybe 2000, 2001, that might be another era where we were lower allocation stocks for an ex- extended period of time. It's an interesting question. I'll have to go back and look. Uh, but I was looking just before we went on the show, just looking at the S&P 500 itself. And right now, the S&P 500 is not trading much different than it was two years ago. We're at about 4,200 on the S&P. And so for the last two years, the S&Ps, if you just drew a straight line average, we're right at the average, about 4,200, and the the S&P has traded roughly 600 points above or 600 points below that midpoint for the last two years. So 4,800 to about 3,600. Yes, for a few weeks in September of last year, we went below 3,600, but we've been in this this trading range now goes back two years. Uh, We've seen these type of markets before. Uh, we saw them, I think it was 2015, 2016. 14 and 15. 
The, la- the, the last time a Democrat was in the White House, President Obama, we had this sideways market movement for about 22 months. Thank you, the left. But did we have five? Did we have a five percent money market rates in uh, 2014, oh, no. 2015? No. Oh no. About like I was saying before the commercial break, Tara. There are reasonable alternatives. This allows us to remain to be patient and finally getting paid a decent rate of return on the fixed income side, like we've been saying on this program for a long time now. Fixed income can finally start doing more of the heavy lifting. It's not all dependent upon the stock market. Well, it, it, it's not really that surprising. We talked about it before. And you talk about all the news and all the events, and you go back to COVID, then you go back to supply chain, then you have Russia and Ukraine. Then you have raising rates quicker than we've seen in, oh, gosh, decades. 40 so years. Not, yeah. And now the debt ceiling. It's not surprising ceiling. people are hesitant to, to where a lot of the institutional money is not going into the market, and it's a renter's market. You know, I mean, you, you could trade on these cycles, it seems like, and a well, lot of the news. And, and look at what happened. You know, Friday we came out of the blocks. Things were looking really well. And then all of a sudden here comes this piece of news that Republicans kind of packed up their briefcases in Washington saying that we're hitting a little bit of an impasse on the debt ceiling negotiation. Um, And then the markets made an about face as soon as that information came out. And and then also, you know, we had Chairman Powell uh, give some speech, and I think what they were able to extract from the the speech is that there's a higher probability that they're going to be pausing on rate increases in June, possibly also in July. So instead of just pausing, they're now using the word maybe skipping. So the Fed may be doing some skipping for a couple of months. But as we talked on last weekend's program, and as I've had conversations with clients, and I know we've talked about it on this show, is that the issues with the regional banks that we had beginning in March might be doing helping the Fed do some of the heavier lifting on bringing inflation down because of the tighter lending standards, which will help cool off the economy. Just to throw this out there. So in the last two or three years, so from the Fed, we've we've been brought in several terms. We've got transitory, the pivot, pause, and now skipping. Skip, yeah. What's the difference between a skip and a pause? (laughs) Who knows? I, I, I mean, but this this is the term that came out of the speech on Friday. So now we're talking about skipping. Well, uh, how about but, but, Yellen's but, comments about regional bank consolidation on on Friday afternoon? Which, which caused, which interestingly enough, caused that regional bank ETF to go down. As Dad said, you know, this is the time to get into the sign business. Because there's going to be so many <laughs> banks that are going to have to rename themselves if there really is this this regional bank consolidation out there in the future. Did you want to be in the sign business? Well, we we have a client corpus. Hopefully, he'll make a lot of money in the next couple of years. So, <laughs> That's right. Maybe not. That's right. On where you where you're banking with? <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, is is that a good thing though, Jeff? Is, is consolidation of the regional banks a good thing? Because we know J.P. Morgan has just gotten bigger this year with depositors' assets from the failures of these banks on the east and west coast. Now, granted, they have a lot stricter regulations, 
But the thing is, how can the regulators regulate against social media posts? How can they regulate against the speed of technology of being able to move deposits out of banks with a couple strokes on your iPhone? I mean, they can't regulate against that. And so they're just going to have to be stricter, harder and faster rules from a capital requirement standpoint to ensure that they don't have 50% of their deposits uninsured or they just do away with FDIC insurance period and just have an implicit guarantee that all deposits are going to be guaranteed, but then they're going to have to have stricter regulations to try to regulate against moral hazard. So it's, it's like they're caught between a rock and a hard place in this situation. And how is the FTC going to approve all of these, you know, regional banks becoming bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? You know, Leah Khan, I think, will have something to say about it. Who's the head of the, you know, is in charge of anointing all of that stuff. So from an investing point of view, we don't own any regional banks. We don't even own a bank. The closest thing we have to a bank in our portfolio is Charles Schwab, and that's it. which is not a bank, although they got caught up in the in the whirlwind. Once we again, right. but we own nothing but money center banks in our bond portfolio: Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs. Yeah, I think I think we may have some B of A in there too. The monsters, uh, but we did <laughs> the monster but, you know, banks. All the all the two quote unquote too big to fail in the yeah. in the bond side of the portfolio. But we don't any don't own any bond stock, uh, bank stocks. There's probably an opportunity there. Now the opportunity may get a little greater and i will say it's been what a couple of weeks now since the uh the last bank failure and interest rates have come up Mm -hmm. we've seen some of that safety trade especially on the short end of the of the treasury yield curve reverse so we've seen money come out because we saw the two-year treasury have quite a move this past week before the issue with the Republicans packing up their briefcase on the debt ceiling talk, you know, we saw the two-year Treasury at almost at almost 4.35% on Friday. Yeah, but even, even with all this hand-wringing about, nego- you know, these guys negotiating, because we all know how where this is going to end up, they're going to come to an agreement, as they always have. The markets as a whole for the week, compl- you know, are, are not feeling any pain because the S&P 500 was up 1.6% for the week. Yeah, we were you know down a little, even just a tiny bit on Friday. Uh, but I don't think the market is worried at all about them not coming up with some kind of solution. And, and I, I'm not worried about them not, you know, not coming up with some solution. Uh, so once that's behind us now, okay. The chairman says we're going to have a pause. All the governors this week, I don't think a single one of them say anything about there being a rate cut by the end of the year. Not a single one. Not a single one. And we're on record saying that we don't see one coming. The only way, there's two ways. The economy falls off a cliff, which we don't anticipate happening, or inflation due to the tighter lending standards just makes a dramatic move to the downside. Those would be the only two scenarios, and and I just think that inflation, particularly on the service side, there's still pent-up demand that has to be worked out. And as we're going into the summer months, you know, we'll we'll see, but, you know, we still have the CPI at 4.9%. Now, the producer price index is now below 3. You know, it's come down, but we still, on the CPI side, we still have higher inflationary, you know, 
markers on the service side. And that's and that takes time. This takes time to work out. So let's pause right there. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So what would you like to tackle next, gentlemen? <laughs> so, you know, going through all of this, you know, if the Fed does – pause, which I'm on record saying that they're they're going to pause, uh, I would say that this will probably be the last one of this cycle because I think they run the risk of causing more uh, commotion in the banking sector with even another quarter point hike. And is it really necessary? Because of all that they have done and the amount of time, the lag time it takes for those interest rate increases to seep into the economy. And inflation has has moved down. I mean, let's not forget what June of last year we had CPI north of nine percent, and now we're at four point nine. So it's been moving in the right direction for you know going on a year plus now. So you know I, I don't think they really need to do any more. And like I said earlier, the tighter lending standards I think is going to be a real boon for the Fed to not have to raise anymore, and they're being able to bring inflation out without having to destroy jobs. Because we've talked on previous shows that the Fed, this was before the whole banking issue that began this past March, that they were looking at maybe having to destroy a million, million and a half, two million jobs in order to slow the economy down to accelerate monetary inflation to move lower. And I know Elizabeth Warren was up in arms about that as long uh, as well as a lot of Democrat uh Congress people, but and and we don't want to see people lose their jobs in order to bring inflation down. I mean, we no one wants that. Uh, so, so, since the Fed has been raising interest rates, has there been a negative job growth month since they started raising them a year ago? No, I, I can't. I can't remember nope. one. So that means these million jobs. Yeah, you know, there haven't been any jobs lost ever since they started. The Fed started raising rates. Um, to me, if the Fed's going to pause, then the Fed's going to be kind of removing themselves from the equation, at least for the moment, if they, if they mm-hmm. pause in June. And so we got to get back to what other economic statistics are out there. Because on Thursday – the leading economic indicators were negative for the 13th straight time. Now, I tried to go back and look and see statistically when was the last time we had 13 uh, negative leading economic indicator statistics in a row, and I didn't find one. Um, that is, you know, 
you tell me how we're going to avoid a recession. We may already be in one now, as 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 we all know, let, and we won't know about it until the end of the year. Maybe by maybe over by then. Let me. Can uh, I ask you something, Jeff, real yeah. quick? Yeah. Because this was something that that Joe and I talked about, and 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 this was kind of a repeat of Jan Hatzius, who's you know the head economist for Goldman Sachs, and he made this comment uh, two weeks ago that we could possibly see just rolling recessions within specific industry groups where we still have positive overall GDP growth, but it might be one-tenth or two-tenths or three-tenths of a percent GDP growth. But that industry-specific companies go through kind of their own mini recessions within themselves, but it doesn't push the entire country's GDP negative. Like you look at the housing market, you know, what have the housing stocks done this year? They have just absolutely torn the cover off the ball, moving to the upside because there's a real lack of housing and housing starts across this country where the housing market got nailed last year. The housing stocks did poorly, but now they're doing better. And we're starting to see demand just slowly emerge, even at these higher rates. But the buyers are really focused in on the new homes not the pre-owned homes because new home builders, especially the corporate ones, the Pulteys, the KBs, the Lenars, they can create incentives where they're financing it in-house, giving you a four, four and a quarter percent mortgage, but then the points that you're buying down for that lower mortgage are being put back in the overall price of the house. And so I just wanted to get your opinion if, if your thoughts are, would Jan Hatzius maybe potentially be accurate where we see more of rolling recessions within specific industries as time goes on, but GDP just is able to barely stay positive as the quarters tick on? Yeah, I mean, I could I could see that. Um, but in terms of stocks, we can't have the whole market performance being in 10 stocks. Agree. That's not, that's not a healthy. That's not a healthy market. It, we just can't well, keep putting. I, we can't just keep putting money in those ten stocks over and over and over again. The rest of them have to participate at some point, or those ten stocks have to have their day in the barrel. Now, a lot of those stocks had their day in the barrel last year. Last year, um, and you know, like Apple is at or near its all-time high. We already talked about Nvidia at or near its all-time high. Uh, I haven't asked you what the current PE is. I'll put you on the spot there, Kyle. I'm sure it's still in the high teens. Um, For who? Just over the S and P 500. Over, I think it was 18 the last time that last time we talked about it. It's so it's probably, well 24. It's okay. 24, but again, you strip out those 10 names, and I believe this past week, if you strip out those 10 names, the PE is around 16, 17. So those 10 names have really driven the P.E. ratio to this high level uh, from a valuation standpoint. But but as as I heard on Friday, um, Carter Worth, who is, you know, someone that I actually listen to, he's a, he's a technician, he's a great chartist, and he was talking about the Russell 3000, and he was saying that half of the Russell 3000, 1,500 companies, their stock prices are below where they were October of last year. That's when we were hitting the intraday low for this bear market that half the stocks in the Russell 3000 are below 
that level. And so, like you said, Jeff, we have a lack of participation of so many stocks. Now, is this because we have a buyer strike for long-term investors? And because it's been a trader's market for such a long period of time now, they're only doing this trading in these hot stocks, and they're not going to look at a deep value stock that pays a really nice dividend. I mean, look at our value dividend payer ETF that we own. Five-star fund pays a 3.64% dividend income. I mean, fantastic long-term track record, and it's negative year-to-date. It's negative year-to-date and has been a – it was fantastic. Well, I mean, it, it, it was it was it was but it was less worse. You know, its hole was much shallower than the broader market because of the value names that are in that position. And so you see all of these great quality growth at a reasonable price or deep value names that pay consistent dividends, increase dividends, are fundamentally sound. They're getting no love, and is it because of the traders market? And the, and the strike of the long-term investor is keeping these stocks down this year. And we, like I said earlier in the show, all these long-term investors are all standing at, at the starting line and everyone's looking down the line waiting for that first long-term investor to step their foot across the line to start maybe going into these stocks that are great values. And a majority of them, we talked about earnings God, a couple shows ago, a majority of them are meeting, meeting their earnings expectations too. So earnings were not as bad. I mean, have we had earnings recession for the past two quarters? Fourth quarter of 21 or 22? Yes. First quarter of 23? Yes. Now the earnings recession got better. When we got into the earnings season, they were anticipating a decline of about 6.8%. Well, we wound up ending at only down 2.2%. So the earnings recession is still there. But it improved greatly as we got through the first quarter 2023 earnings. And so, Jeff, back to your point, if the Fed is now off the table, it's getting back to the blocking and tackling of earnings and forward guidance of corporate America and how they're weathering this. The Fed off the table in terms of raising rates. We're not not living in fear of, well, they're going to raise – you know, 50 basis points at the next meeting, 25 basis points at the next meeting, we're going to get that narrative off. And so now the talks, okay, well, when's the rate cut happen? When's the rate cut happen? And so we're going to pull out the statistics and see that it's six to eight months after the Fed stops raising interest rates is historically when they start cutting them again. Will that, will that cause investors to start to get happy? And the stocks, as these, these, this half of the Russell 3000, that is trading below where it was in an engineer where it was in the lows of last year, which again adds more fuel, if you will, to the prediction or to the expectation, I should say, that that low last year, that 3,400 last year is the low for this move. And, and, And we just, we, that's the that is the new you know the new floor 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 is thirty is that thirty four which is just just below thirty five I think it's thirty four ninety one something like that which we haven't tested this year we still no, and 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 I think the only way that we would test that Jeff or go below that is if something really falls out of bed with this debt ceiling well you'd issue. have to have debt ceiling you'd have to have a lot more bank failures um, 
a lot more turmoil. We'd have we'd have to have really really substantial declines in earnings, much more than we've seen so far. Okay, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us at our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails at moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your, or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and, you know, talking about the Fed coming to a, a rate pause, I'm on record saying it. I think they're, they're paused for this cycle. And I, you know, read some interesting statistics, some historic statistics on how the markets performed post uh, a Fed rate increase cycle pause. And, Jeff, you actually have some numbers that date back. Did you say 1926 I heard during well, the commercial break? Well, that's that's the selling man go away. Oh, the selling man go away. Okay. We'll, we'll we'll talk about what you're talking about first, and I have some statistics going back to the early 1990s. So, going back, actually, the mid 1990s. So, since the mid 1990s, uh, there's been one, two, three, four. There's five different interest rate Federal Reserve rate raising cycles. In this particular example. So out of those five uh, periods of time, the average large value U.S. you know U.S. stock went up in value twenty seven percent on average after the last Federal Reserve interest rate hike, um, and it's equally as better for small caps. Uh, large growth, not you know, qu- not quite as good. A little over twenty percent. International emerging markets are about half that, but still double-digit growth. So, there's plenty of statistical evidence that after the last Federal Reserve rate hike of, of a particular cycle, that stocks looking out into the future after that time, after that last hike, do well. Um, the question is, <laughs> there's always exceptions, and the the uh, time period in the uh, after the dot com era ended that was the only exception um, to that but, particular. But we also had a pretty deep recession in 01 and 02. Well, we, we yes, but but we also had had you know four or five years of twenty percent plus returns. Yes, so it wasn't out of the 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 uh, realm of expectation. That there was going to be, there's going to have to be a day of reckoning for that. And if you were keeping your eye on the ball and had, you know, any, any sort of, of of active asset management in the portfolio, you had plenty of time to get your portfolio repositioned um, for what happened in the early part of this century, uh, just as you did in, you know, 08, 09. There was plenty of of warning about what was going on there in 08, 09. Um, and I would hazard to tell you, say that there was warning last year. 
to get to port, you get portfolios realigned. But as we've said time and time again, it seems that the vast majority of the money under quote unquote management is not actively managed. It's passively managed and uh, passive management, you know, every, every 10 years or so, a passively managed portfolio uh, will get stung. And, you know, 2022 was a, was a prime example of that. Yes, Joe. Well, if you had also, you know, you know, you're running a, a computer generated portfolio and you got 10, 20, 30% intermediate bonds last year, you really got stung. That's right. It, it just takes yeah. one year. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm here to say, ladies and gentlemen, I am not afraid of artificial intelligence in any way, shape or form, uh, replacing the human <laughs> investment advisor. <laughs> This won't be Terminator 10, is that what you're saying? We've, we've, had, we've had computers and algorithmic programs involved in Wall Street going back long before the word internet, you know, long before the word internet and long before the words artificial intelligence. You know, to me, what's happening with artificial intelligence and all these, really, it's not a lot of stocks. It's a very, very narrow set of stocks that are that are truly participating in whatever this new revolution is. I don't think AI is going to be as big as the as, as big as the internet. The revolution of the internet. I just I, I'm not in that camp. There's plenty of people who have an axe to grind who go on CNBC and tout their stocks or tout whatever it is that they're doing. You know, is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't see AI flying planes and driving cars and uh, doing what we do, or or uh, you know, treating people with you know health you know, health issues. I don't see that performing happen. surgeries. Yeah, performing, performing surgeries. surgeries. You know, I, I, you know, coming. Are there going to be people coming out and work in the yard, do your plumbing? I mean, we can go on and on. I, I just, it's there's a lot of hype right now. And there's a lot. Of, there's a there's a narrow number of stocks that are that are getting hyped up the most. And yeah, I'm I'm glad that we own a few of them, uh, but uh, certainly not going to have eighty uh, percent of the portfolio in those ten stocks for sure. Not a prudent strategy. No, it's not a prudent strategy. Not at all. Uh, but I think the performance of the market, if you just look at the raw numbers, it's it's masking what's happening on the under on the underside, which is the, the statistics, like you said, Kyle, where you've got half of the of the Russell. I think it was two thousand. Three said three thousand. Pardon me. Um, trading at lows we they haven't seen since last uh, last fall. Which now, also means there's great buying opportunities into the future. There and are, those are buying opportunities may get. A little better, and that's the real Possibly. question. You know, uh, yeah, Joe. Well, you just mentioned in the last segment about large cap value. When the Fed is done, there is some fun. Apparently, when the Fed is done and large cap value, which you said in the last yeah. six or seven times, has led the way. So you have to be patient with the, with your allocations too. So no, but yeah, that no is. Guarantee, there's no guarantee that the Fed doesn't. You know, they may have a pause and they come right back in again. I don't have any statistics for that. But that has happened in the past where they've come back in again. So the bottom line for us right now in terms of in allocators of money and pickers of stocks and, 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 and buyers of bonds, we bought one bond this week because rates have come up again on the two-year. We're looking at maybe putting some more money to work in bonds now that, that, now that we're, we're getting close to 4.5% again in the two-year. Um, five is Just about five is the tops we've seen 
so far this year. So take putting a little money in and locking it down is probably a good idea. And we're going to continue to be watching, you know, rates on a daily basis, you know, and if they get, if they get close to five, we may not have any more position trade and money market fund funds. And we may, we may be in nothing but government bonds, but we got to get past this debt ceiling thing. I don't think that they're going to take it. Uh, I think it's going to be solved. I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if it's negotiated out by the time we have next week's show. Well, we'll have to wait and see, but of course we'll be back next weekend to give the rundown of everything coming up this next week on wall street. But with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's money wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to money wise with Davidson capital management, your money wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So being in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, And I found an interesting article that came from the Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal titled, Five Things... Every retirement portfolio should have, and for any longtime listener of the money, or for any longtime listeners in the Money Wise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists, our countdown lists here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into because I I, I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one for the five things every retirement portfolio should have and number one being consistent income. And I know that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program, the lack of consistent income, or I should say decent income for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. Uh, 
And what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income as providing that consistent income. And that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend-paying stocks that can produce consistent annual income, but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock. And kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and I know, Dad, you've talked many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow. And to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again, uh, the dogs of the Dow are the uh, at the beginning of each year they identify the five or ten highest dividend paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those ten stocks for the year, or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income. And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend yield. Well, you can say it's more than 5. I think it had a pretty good day on pretty good day the other day so yeah it is something over five percent but the one thing i would say about this call you know the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account a consistent income now in in days gone by obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio and that was true from the time uh in the late 70s all the way through the financial crisis back in in 08 but because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following, which is basically a zero interest rate policy, uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can know, they can get consistent income. I was going to say the problem yeah. is it's not a level at which they can be retired that, that they can survive on, unless and as we've talked on this program. If you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large and your income needs so modest and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then you know you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio. And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, I think for any given year. That's that's the easiest place easiest to begin. Place. And these are all household names. So I think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with. Okay. So, again, five things every portfolio retirement. I want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because here, especially since the financial crisis, we 
there there have been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships or illiquid privately traded REITs or REITs in general there's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just for and just ignoring when they go down in value many of the the, the master limited partnerships some of the REITs had large declines in values and saw their yields go up and for whatever reason the, the the investor that held those those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security and having a 12 or 15% yield is all fine and good but there's a reason why they're yielding 12 or 15%. Maybe you bought it when it was yielding 8 and now it's gone down 20% or 30% in value. And so, uh, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%. But if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when, we, when reviewing client portfolios, but we know that was an issue very much in the past, and we pointed that out to a lot of investors, and a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one, one more thing before we go to break is that dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more uh, – uh, there's a better treatment of, of, of taxation – uh, on on those dividend paying stocks, and you might otherwise get in uh, in uh, interest on bonds. Okay, well, let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up, right before we went to commercial break, the REITs or Real Estate Investment Trusts and these master limited partnerships and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had and I've said I've actually seen this when I've talked to somebody that said oh Kyle look at the great 10 15 12 percent dividend yield I'm getting and I'm saying and I said to them but you've lost 50 percent or 75 percent of the value of your original investment and then I see the look come over their face saying oh my gosh I just realized that I was like you said earlier focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture so for any listener that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, it's not worth getting a 10% dividend yield if you've lost 50 or 60% of your original investment. 
Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management, you have to read the fine print in every perspective. As we've, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number two. Number two. Five things that every retirement portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. Now, there has been really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013, there's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top and that, oh, you know, it's that's all these, all these. Yeah, this is it. It can't go any higher. We'll go. We'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began. And there's just been this obsession with 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 folks needing to, in essence, board up their portfolios, get ready for that coming storm, get ready for that hurricane that's coming. And, you know, preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about. But it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time or within a month or so of every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks, you have a portfolio and in that same portfolio you have some bonds and you have some cash. So if one asset class, say stocks is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a, a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar. But most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses in market downturns don't have port, have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks. And what's getting ready to happen and what's what really started in 2013 for those investors that had high allocations to bonds, they thought that being an invested in bonds, if they got out, say, in the in the, uh, the, the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, I want out. I don't care what it, what it, where things are valued at, I don't care where the markets are, I don't care what the news is, I don't care what the Fed's doing, I just want out, and I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds. And they were, and they've probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because interest rates were falling, and so they were seeing the value of their portfolio go up. Now, stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013, and, you, and, and suddenly, this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income, because that's, what, that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio. I'm never going to have to worry about this again, because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds, that I, I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 2013 comes along, and these investors that had high allocations to, to fixed income found out that, yes, you can 
lose money in bonds. And, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account, I mean, David's, you know, we're in our 25th year of business, and our philosophy from day one, and will continue to be the philosophy for 25-plus years to come, is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Client, 60% of your money is in stocks, 40% of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like we're like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now. But then also when the winds and the tides shift and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment, then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years, it's how shallow you can keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here at, that have come in through our front door that have been in that situation. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your hole shallow, being in an actively managed, balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent, registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term. So number two was preservation of capital. Uh, number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity. And boy, I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm. And liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about, particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans, and for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain for annuities of any way, shape, or form. And also, in essence, when pension recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two, these two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. 
And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire – the one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, and let's just say in this example, you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month, that is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build goes right back into the pension, is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, that's if you choose the single-life payout. Now, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why you should be, if you have the ability to take a lump-sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners of the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions um, this really, this this whole discussion is really going out to you. And, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension, to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent twenty five to forty plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. You start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So again, the payout's going to be less then option number one, and so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident. 
that guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option. And there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number three is you have a survivorship benefit, and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension. But again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options, three, three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction? Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's $1,500, that is what you're going to be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that $1,500 you're receiving a month, every month that goes by, that $1,500 buys a little bit less. Now, imagine receiving that payment for 20, 25, 30 years. I can assure you 30 years from now, $1,500 is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs. And what if you, let's say you take the election and you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and you need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Or how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have, usually when you re, when you retire from an organization, you might have a traditional 401K and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well, let's just say you have enough in your 401K to live off of in retirement, and you don't really need to touch the pension. Well, if you let's say you just let that pension money accumulate. And you didn't make, and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account. You you uh, put it to work. You for put it. you put it to work. You don't have to start taking distributions from even your four hundred one k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of seventy and a half under current law. So flexibility, and 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 that's not one of these one of the. Uh, it should be five, a slash. It should it be should, liquid, it should be liquidity, liquidity slash flexibility. That's right. And by committing yourself to a stream of payments, no one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A year from now. A year from now. I mean, six months from now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So why tie your hands into something? Why, why, Why make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? You're just reducing your flexibility by... Committing yourself to to a taking a pension uh, payout in in the form of, of payments, which is in the essence an annuity. They don't ever call it that, I know. which is very interesting. It's not it, when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office, it never says annuity. 
It's just this is going to be your payment for your life, your life for your heir's life, for your spouse's life. It doesn't say that this is an essence and annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking monthly distributions from the assets we manage and, in essence, have created a quote-unquote annuity for themselves, by, but, but doing it by not owning an annuity and having full access to their money in case... Complete liquidity, complete, complete flexibility, flexibility, and complete access at all times. And the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case, God forbid, an emergency is three business days. That's it. And so this pension conversation, again, goes right in line with annuities, and it really, again, adds to our disdain to annuities. And as Jeff said, you know, taking those those monthly payments, you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are. Because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff, some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston, we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted, yes, sir, you're correct, we do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it ought to be against the law for employers to, 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 to mislead Absolutely. their retirees that, that that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the 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 corporations that make co- corporate contributions into the into the employees pension plans by keeping more money in it they don't have to contribute as much as right. as a corporation which improves their profitability that's right and so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire that's right it's not very common but it does happen it does happen so Again, five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity and you know, for we, Jeff we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of maybe reiterating what we'd said in some of the in some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and and the the private place private placements are the are one of the biggest violators of. Of liquidity. Of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, we've, especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial, since the financial crisis. And the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, they're required to report you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs were in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If, you have, if you're signing up for an investment and it has a 200-page prospectus. You need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially, 
you can't get out of them for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trusts or REITs, in bold letters, now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased. So you, you've been around the block a few times with these. In the 25 years we've managed money, we, have, we only invest in securities that are publicly traded that that have that you can look up online that have a symbol you can whether it's a mutual fund whether it's a stock whether it's an exchange traded fund whether it's a bond they're all publicly traded they're all highly liquid investments and w- we would not recommend to most investors unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote unquote play or Vegas money that you avoid investments that are not publicly traded okay so again when we're, we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's money wise program when we come back we'll be wrapping up five things every retirement portfolio should have we've done consistent income preservation of capital capital liquidity slash flexibility and we've got number four and five coming up after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in the last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have. So far, we've covered consistent income, number two, preservation of capital, number three, liquidity, and then Jeff has added slash flexibility. Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked, oh my gosh, how many, I mean, we've, we're down in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold. And at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. And our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. Um, And the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule, Um, and really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that at Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to and understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee-based 
uh, structure, a fee-based arrangement that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the, the incentive. The more money they make for you, the more money they make for themselves, and then if the value of the portfolio goes down, so does their management fee. So pay attention to competitive costs. Ask the questions. And and just really read the fine print. Don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you you may be working with how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product. There's that that's that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask. And 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 the person on the other side of the table should not him haul around or should not try to deflect the question away because. Cost and what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses, and there's lots of other ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go, we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show. They can add up, and they're not always obvious. And you have to, as Kyle says, dig deeper to figure it out. Uh, for folks that are involved with wrap accounts at major brokerage houses and they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in many of those wrap accounts start off at two two and a half percent per year and go up from there that's right uh, we've seen many wrap accounts that exceeded three percent of assets under management and don't even get a startus started about annuities. Well, I, I, and I'll, I'll kind of leave this okay. number four segment with this. If anyone that you're working with is paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make and their answer is nothing, that's a flat-out lie. That is a flat-out lie. They're not people doing don't it work, out of the goodness of yeah, their people heart. People don't work for nothing. They don't work for nothing. So keep that in the back of your mind. So the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have, and again, see this and we talk about this time and time again is long term growth the bottom line is is as you get closer to retirement and as jeff said at the the beginning of this second hour you can't just board up your portfolio you cannot say well i'm two or three years away from retiring so now i'm just going to move everything 100 percent into fixed income now i'm safe yeah preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth you always need growth. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, you need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this. The last few 401ks that I've reviewed for prospective clients, I've been noticing just here recently a trend, especially with how well the markets did in 2013, where I've seen folks that are you know, in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70, 80, 100% of their 401k in either cash, fixed income, or the stable value fund because they feel that, you know what, I've grown my 401k to four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars and I'm not willing to take any more risk, so I'm just gonna put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset and that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long term growth. And and we've always said don't be confused with pre preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation 
is is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio not paying attention to that not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss well it's not going to show it on your statement but it is a loss one thing that that i think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the cpi running around two percent are just about over yeah. and we have no way of knowing how high inflation is going to be in the future, but it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, ride into safe. the sun. I mean, that the funny thing is you think you're playing it safe. You are actually taking a big risk. You think you're being safe when you're doing this. You are not. And you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio. And so if you find yourself in that position and you might be past the age of 59 and a half, one thing I just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this, if you're participating in a 401k and you're past the age of 59 and a half, most standard prototype 401k plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution. And that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401k, hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401k because if you've amassed four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or more in your 401k and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two for my father john and my brother jeff this is kyle davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health we will talk to you next week